welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by the full crew, Rick Blue, Mike McDaniel. How we doing? Boys, I'm fired up for this one. Um, this is going to be a good one. I can I can tell that now. Andrew, welcome back. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be back. Had to take a little hiatus. Life has gotten just super crazy for me. I'm living out of the uh, the American Airlines Club here, but it's uh, you know Miller Lite's free there, so I might I might as well move in. Uh, but good to be back with you guys, uh, even though my my month of chaos. Uh, not necessarily coming to an end, but a chaotic month for the Virginia Tech football program. I'm sure you guys have touched on it already, but the departure of Joe Rudolph, the departure of Brad Glenn, and suddenly Virginia Tech has some moves that they need to make. And I, I think we talked about it, last time we talked about it was with Justin Puente when he was looking at Baylor. We talked about how you're really just behind the eight ball already making any sort of coaching change, you know, after December, after early December for that matter. Now, obviously that this isn't Justin Puente who was the head coach magnitude, but still some really important positions to fill. And, and, you're kind of doing it on the fly while you're trying to accomplish a hundred other things that are required to, you know, elevate a program in year two coming off a three win debut for this coaching staff. But the names have been made. Elijah Brooks from Maryland coaching the backs with Ron Crook on the offensive line. Tyler Bowen moved quarterbacks coach. Gentlemen, I'm sure you have a lot to say, but I mean, I guess we could start with the letter grade. What, what do you give these hires? Or maybe not just the hires, but the shuffle in general. I mean, if we're going to boil it down to a letter grade, I guess it's a D for me. Um <laughs> He says, <laughs> "Look, look, okay, Everyone Christ, turn, turn up that volume." Let's, Ricky LeBlue is back. Let's let's expand on this for a moment. So, this was obviously bad timing from the get go, right? Like we all know that this was not an ideal time for these hires. Obviously, the longer this went on, which it has dragged out quite a bit, quite a bit longer than I expected, uh, admittedly. It became clearer and clearer that Virginia Tech was not hitting on their first option, uh, whether it be at offensive line or running back or w w whatever plan that they had in place. But y you'll notice, Andrew, that when you talked about the changes that were made, the two guys that left, one of them coached quarterbacks, right? So you would think that in order to fill the quarterback coaching position, you would hire a quarterback's coach to fill the quarterback's coach position. And I'll tell you, Ricky, generally that, that is the thought process. That is a – it's a novel concept apparently, uh, but that's what I would have done. Me, the the lowly former sports reporter, reporter turned wannabe public relations professional. Um, 
But that's not what Brent Pry did here. In his infinite wisdom, Brent Pry turned to a still very green, wet behind the ears offensive coordinator who had a disastrous year one in Blacksburg and has no experience whatsoever coaching quarterbacks to be his quarterbacks coach for the, for the upcoming season. That is a joke. It's a flat-out joke. There's no, You cannot convince me that this was the best option in the bag. I am fine with Elijah Brooks. I think he has a good pedigree, and I think he can be a very good assistant coach for Virginia Tech. His, his recruiting chops seem well-documented. The DeMatha connection could prove really, really beneficial in the DMV area. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm a little less excited about Ron Crooks. I would have liked Virginia Tech to go in a different direction, and maybe we can talk about that later in the podcast. That being said, Ron Crook is an experienced guy. He's been all up all up and down the country. Obviously, was coaching at Cincinnati uh, not too long ago. Kind of surprised that he fell all the way down to South Dakota for last year, which is kind of a, a big drop. Regardless. Mike Holmes have nothing to do with those two hires. Again, I'm not really inspired by Ron Crook. I think Elijah Brooks is a fine hire. I'm totally fine with Stu Holt getting out of coaching running backs because that was a disaster last year. But I wanted a quarterback's coach. I I, I didn't want the guy that, that, that could just kind of slide over. That, that's not a position group that you slide over into. Like we saw Adam Lechtenberg go from director of play, player personnel to running backs a few years ago. We saw Zon Burden kind of float around between backs and wide receivers. Fontel Mines has kind of gone from wide receivers to tight ends. Tyler Bowen's gone from tight ends to offensive line back and forth. You notice that none of those guys just float around at quarterback, right? That's not a position group that you can just throw a body at. Well, and, and, and to that point, Ricky... I mean, evidently, like, quarterback is the most important position in football. Is pretty it? Hard. I didn't know that, Andrew. Yeah, I pretty, pretty hard to win without a good one of those. Yeah. And what Virginia Tech has, the starting quarterback of Virginia Tech next year is going to be one of two guys. Kyron Drones, who has played in approximately three offensive series in his career, or Grant Wells, who has played in a lot more. And during that sample size that we've seen, has proven that coaching is something that would benefit him. <laughs> yeah, so, so let's let's break this down. The guy, the guy coordinating Virginia Tech's offense and now coaching quarterbacks has had zero success as an offensive coordinator as a play caller outside of one bowl game. He he has no experience coaching these guys. One of the potential starting quarterbacks, as you mentioned, is brand new to the program and has very little experience. The other guy's two years removed from any legitimate success at the FBS level, and it was at Marshall. So am I supposed to believe that this is a, a recipe for success on offense this year? Is, is, is that the message? Because if it is, I'm just not buying it. Like, that, to me, that this was an incredibly lazy hire. I'm very, very disappointed in in this in this decision. We'll see how it works out. I could be dead wrong. I'm fairly confident that I won't be. 
And I'm fairly confident that in maybe two to three years from now, we're going to look back at this specific moment in time as a very, very important moment in the Brent Pry era. And I'll leave it at that. Michael, tell me why I'm wrong. I mean, I would have also hired a quarterback's coach, but I really, oh, damn. Okay. For but, the record, uh, I would do, but uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think this is like the demise of Virginia tech football or something. I, here's where that I, here's, happened a few years ago. Yeah. So here's, here's where, here's where I'm at with this. I think it was smart to move Stu Holt out of the running backs coach role. Right. I think that was a smart move. It's clear that with Stu Holt's recruiting, and the way that Brent Pry believes he can coach special teams, which was kind of a mixed bag last year, he believes that Holt's beneficial to keep on the staff, right? So you move him out of a position where he's not as familiar, right, coaching running backs and move him to a position coach role where he is more comfortable, and that's tight ends where he's had experience before. Fine, right? Totally fine with that. Um, when you lose Brad Glenn, a few things need to happen, right? You need to either A, hire from outside the program, or B, promote from within, right? This was not a promotion hire, right? I was thinking that if Virginia Tech was going to look inside the program, it was probably going to be Brian Chris, the senior offensive analyst who has does not have quarterbacks coach experience, but has offensive coordinator experience, was just a regular analyst last year for the offense, promoted a senior analyst in January. I thought that that was probably where Virginia Tech was going to go with this, right? That the longer it kind of went on, I was very surprised to see that they elected instead to make Tyler Bowen the quarterbacks coach. My thought here is that Brian Chris is still probably going to be pretty involved with the quarterbacks, right? Which I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing at this point. I have no idea. It's kind of too early to tell. As far as the other hires are concerned, Elijah Brooks, really good hire, right? Um, had some pretty good running backs at Maryland. The connection to DeMath as a head coach where he, you know, put a bunch of kids D1 and they were really good there. And, you know, if they, won a bunch i mean he won a million games to math at the time he was there uh really good winning percentage the recruiting connections to dmv like ricky mentioned that's all a big time selling point for brooks right as a hire i think that's a slam dunk i think that makes a lot of sense i am like ricky in that i think virginia tech probably could have done a little bit better with the offensive line coaching hire but i will also say that it was going to be tough in my mind for Virginia Tech to go out and get a guy who had the pedigree of like a Joe Rudolph at this time of year, right? So I'm just not sure what the ceiling was going to be with that offensive line coach hire, right? I just didn't time of year who they were going to get that kind of matched the pedigree of Rudolph, who's, you know, very accomplished and, you know, ha has a long, you know, a long line of, of coaching experience and is very highly thought of, right, in the business coaching offensive lines. That's why he's at Notre Dame now. Brooks got experience, right? He's coached over 30 years. He's coached multiple All-Americans. He's sent guys to the pros. I think Brent Pry did just fine with the offensive line coaching hire. I just think maybe I'm a little bit more lukewarm on it just because it was going to be hard to kind of match the Joe Rudolph hire last year, right? We were so excited about that hire to the Brent Pry's initial coaching staff at Tech that it was going to be really hard to top that. And now you see the kind of like Ron Crook. Okay. He's coming from the FCS level, but he does have FBS experience. He's coached everywhere. I think Crook will end up probably being a pretty good offensive line coach. And I think that hire will be fine. The Brooks hire I'm good with. I'm really good with moving Stu Holdover. The quarterback's coach thing. Um, 
I don't love the idea of Bowen coaching quarterbacks because he doesn't have experience coaching quarterbacks. However, I do think that there are going to be other hands in the cookie jar there, for lack Ew. of a better term, in the quarterback room, right? Yeah. And Ew. I don't, and I don't, well, I mean, it's going to be Chris, I mean, for sure. But like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Brad Cornelson had plenty of experience with quarterbacks, couldn't develop any of them at Virginia Tech, right? So like, I think we're going to find out pretty quickly if year one with Tyler Bowen, with how poorly it went, was this a Tyler Bowen problem? Was this an offensive personnel problem? Or was it a little bit of both? I think we all agree that the personnel has gotten better across the board at a lot of different positions on the offense, right? At least on paper, we believe that. So if the offense starts looking pretty poor once again, I think we're going to be able to point the finger at Tyler Bowen and say, you know what, that's probably a coach that needs to go. It's probably a place on the staff where Brent Pry entering year three in that scenario would probably be looking to make a change. If he doesn't, you know, like Ricky said, maybe this is a moment in time where we're like, okay, that's where the Brent Pry era sort of fell apart when he made this decision with quarterbacks coach. But my opinion, like I, this is a very like wait and see type thing for me, just because again, it was underwhelming year one with Bowen. I don't know how much of that's Tyler Bowen, how much of that is personnel, right? I think probably it's the answer is always somewhere in the middle. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I don't think that this is the most awe-inspiring move, you know, to have Bowen coach quarterbacks, a position that he's never coached before, given what we just saw last year just from the offense in its entirety. But I think it's way too early to tell also. That's where I'm at with it. I'm very oh, wait and see. So, so if you were to give it a grade, like Andrew asked me, what's your what's your letter grade? Are we doing like the all the hires in totality? Are we talking just quarterbacks? Because like I think Andrew said, the whole the, the all of the moves put together. Yeah, just like the way things look right now. Because if you were the gonna, offensive coaching staff, like a C plus, a B minus, C plus, like very average, very average. Because I think for all the good that you get with with Brooks as the running backs coach. And I, I think there's upside certainly with Crook and the experience he's had. I think you're also giving away, you're taking you know, a couple steps back at quarterbacks coach. But the, like, then again, we were all feeling good about Brad Glenn last year. The offense, you know, quarterbacks looked like shit. So I, you know, what am I, I don't know. That's where I'm at. I think it's a very average, I think it's very average shuffling around. I do like, I, I think the, the, I think the underrated part of this whole thing is I think Stu Holt's going to be a lot more comfortable coaching tight ends. I think that's going to be a net positive for Virginia Tech. I think they... Is he going to be more comfortable coaching special teams? Because he wasn't very comfortable coaching that last year. Depends on how much stock you put into Tucker Holloway as a returner versus like the other areas, right? It's more than that, though. It's the kicking game. It's the coverage issues. It's the pre-snap penalties. Like There's a lot that goes into it that's outside punt and kick return. I thought, I thought, I mean, a lot of people were like killing Stu Holt last year because of the running backs primarily. I thought special teams was fine. Like, I didn't think it was like a total disaster. I didn't think it was great. I thought special teams were fine. I thought the running backs portion of his job was not very good. I also don't think the running backs were very good either. Like Holston, don't get me started. Um, Malachi Thomas, can't stay healthy. Keyshawn King. He had fumbling issues, and then last year is probably the best he looked. But I think it's pretty apparent now with kind of who Virginia Tech's bringing into the fold. Uh, Bayshon Tootin, like, I think he's going to pro- probably play a pretty significant role in the running backs room along with Malachi Thomas and some other guys they already have. So 
think Keyshawn King saw the writing on the wall, and that's why he transferred. I, I think this is a very, again, I'm just very wait and see on everything because it's so early in a rebuild, which, again, is also why I would hire a quarterbacks coach, by the way. But it's very early in a rebuild. I'm very wait and see across the board. And there's also just like a turnover of personnel that's happening too, where it's going to take some time to really see like how good this coaching staff is from an X's and O's standpoint versus, okay, like they were deficient in a lot of areas. The depth was a problem in a lot of areas, like how much of that's coaching, how much of that's personnel. We're going to start to get the answers to that because the roster is turning over very quickly and Pry and his staff are getting their guys in the door. So I think we're going to have the answer to, okay, can these guys actually coach? We know they can, you know, we know these guys have the potential on the recruiting trail, but can they actually coach? I think we're going to start to get those answers pretty quickly. I think it's a roll of the dice is the best way I would put it with quarterbacks. It's not what I would have done. I don't think this was probably Virginia Tech's first choice. I don't think this is how Brent Brent Pry probably drew it up. My guess is that they probably struck out on a few candidates, a quarterbacks coach. They tried to backfill where they could, you know, from, you know, bring in Brooks and then Rudolph leaving is kind of a, another issue, right? So you bring Crook in, I think that's fine. And then you move, you know, Stu Holt to tight end. I think that's fine. But the big gaping hole here is quarterbacks coach. The big gaping hole when Ricky and I were talking a week ago was not only quarterbacks coach, it was offensive line coach. And we were like, okay, are we going to have either one of those installed by spring ball? Hopefully we do. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, Brent Pry mentioned on the Tech Sideline podcast when he was interviewed about a week and a half ago, I thought it was interesting because he said he would like to have an offensive line coach installed by spring practice. He said quarterbacks coach, he said, we can probably do a few things with some of the assistance we have on staff. I thought that comment was pretty telling, right? I thought that I didn't think he was going to do this move with Bowen, but I think it was pretty clear that the priority was filling the offensive line coaching vacancy which I agree with. I, I think the offensive line coach is more important than the quarterback's coach in totality. But I, with that being said, I would have hired a quarterback's coach. I think it's a roll of the dice. I think it's putting your eggs, all your eggs, all your eggs in one basket with Tyler Bowen, which I agree with Ricky. He's a new offensive coordinator. He doesn't have a ton of experience. That is a big time roll of the dice by Brent Pry. But I'm very much wait and see on all of this because I like some of the other moves they made that eventually got Bowen moved to quarterbacks coach. So I'm very wait and see on this. I don't love it. I'm not even sure I like it. But I'm not like, oh my God, the season's a disaster. This is going to be horrible. I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not all the way there, Rick. But I'm just wait and see is where I'm at. Well, Rick, like what would the best possible realistic case scenario in your mind have looked like? You, you don't got to say like Iron quarterbacks game, coach. Like a profile. I, I, I don't I don't feel like it's too much to ask to have hired someone with at least some FBS coaching experience coaching quarterbacks. I like I agree. It doesn't even need to be at the power five level. Brad Glenn didn't have power five coaching experience for quarterbacks. So uh, I'm not asking for the world here because I understand that a lot of your, a lot of your really good up and coming quarterback coaches end up being offensive coordinators within one to two years anyway. But I, I refuse to believe that this was, 
that this was the best option. No and, shot. And, and yeah, like, no shot it was. Yeah, yeah. No shot. But, but even then, I don't even feel like this is an acceptable option, quite quite honestly. It, it's, it, it places way too much of a risk at the most important position on the offense, at a position where your guy, like your hand-picked guy, which is Kyron Drones, needs development. He needs coaching. He needs a chance to grow and become a better player. And he's going to have to do that with a guy that is still trying to figure out how to call plays and has never coached quarterbacks before. So, and, and, and the other point, the other part of this too, if I'm a top 25 quarterback in the next two classes, why in the blue hell am I going to go play for someone who has never coached quarterbacks before? Why, why would I do that? I wouldn't right? like, I mean, it, it's as simple as that. I wouldn't do it. So now not only have you placed a huge risk in terms of like a, on a year to year basis in the development of the guys on the roster, but now Tyler Bowen, who does not have a track record of any sort of developing passers and improvisers at the quarterback position, has to now go hit the quarterback trail, and he's got no he's got no success as a coordinator to pitch, at least not yet. Hopefully that changes, and he's got no track record of of coaching experience at quarterback, and now he's got to go try and recruit quarterbacks. I just don't. I just don't want to blow this out. Bowen is a good recruiter, though. Like he is a good recruiter. Okay, he's but one it's of the a better lot recruiters easier, on the staff. It's a lot easier to walk into a a sophomore or junior's living room with his family and say, "Hey, look, I, I like you. I know you want to come play for me. I've got a guy here that knows how to develop quarterbacks. He, he's done it at I other agree. universities." I agree. But now he's got to go and, and other recruiters are going to say, Hey, look, they don't even have a quarterbacks coach on staff. I agree. An offensive lineman doing quarterback coaching, but to be fair, to be fair, by the time Tyler Bowen's voice in that living room to that sophomore or junior will matter. He will either have a track record of an improved yes. quarterback yep. or he'll be out of a job. Yep. That's Will he where be I'm out at. of a job? Well, I, I mean, Dude, if the offense doesn't do well this year, he's probably out of a job. Yeah, this I mean, expedites. We, we all thought that with Brad Cornelson. This expedite this expedites things, in my opinion, from Tyler Bowen's standpoint. He's got to get he's got to get rolling pretty quickly because now he's got two really important jobs, right? developing the offense as a whole and developing the most important position on the field. And if he doesn't do either one of those, well, he's either going to be out the door or Virginia tech is going to then maybe hire a real quarterbacks coach. Right. What's your, what's your confidence level in him being able to do that? It doesn't matter what my confidence level is, Ricky. I mean, that's what the whole podcast is for is for us to talk about it. So Brent Pry, Brent, let me talk. Brent Pry made this hire right with Tyler Bowen he was extremely high on Bowen for a reason right and we haven't seen it yet right I don't know if that's again I'll go back to this I don't know if that's personnel or I don't know if that's because Bowen is actually not very good I think we're going to find that out in short order I don't think we have enough information yet personally 
fan base wanted to fire bone after year one. Oh my God, the offense looks terrible. I agree. The offense did look terrible. Every position was bad. Offensive line was terrible. Running backs were terrible. Quarterbacks were terrible. Only good receiver was Caleb Smith. Like, so is the solution to give the guy a larger footprint on the offense? The way you're, I I don't disagree with you, Ricky, but the way you're talking tonight makes it seem like the quarterbacks coach is more important than offensive coordinator. And I could not disagree with that take more. I could not. I, disagree I haven't with said that. that. I just think the, the the angle you're attacking this from is that the quarterbacks coach is the be all end all in college football, and I just don't agree with that. My my point is that as of now, we have an incompetent offensive coordinator running the offense. Are we sure? Based upon available data, yes. How much well, of that is him? Fair, like, like we don't would, know. Would, I don't like, think we have you, enough information yet. Like, yeah. would you have advocated for his firing after this previous year? No, but I wouldn't have advocated giving him more responsibilities. <laughs> Did I mean, you give damn. him more responsibility? You just reassigned him. He was coaching tight ends. Now he's coaching quarterbacks. Okay, you didn't really but, give him more okay, responsibility. But are we going to equate? the tight ends position coach with of course the quarterbacks position. Okay, that's my not. point. We have taken him from a position that is much easier to coach at tight end. And now we have asked him, hey, look, not only do you need to improve as a play caller, mm-hmm. you need to improve as an overall coordinator of the offense. Yep. Oh, by the way, you have to now learn how to coach quarterbacks. That is an unreasonable ask by any any reasonable metric. Here's yeah, I think Ricky, Ricky makes a good point. Like, well, and so the other question I would have is if Tyler Bowen was hired to be the quarterback's coach alone and not the offensive coordinator last year, what would you have thought of that hire? You would have been like, that's kind of random. Like, you probably wouldn't have loved it. It would have been absurd. Absolutely. Yeah. Absurd. So, so the fact that all he's done is – like I, I and you are right, Mike. Like we don't know to which degree it was him, and or which to which degree it was the lack of personnel. But both, probably both. It, it the is, answer probably is probably both. both. But both, probably both. As of now, there is no available data to show that he is not like completely incapable of doing the responsibilities that he already had at the level that is required to remain employed in said position. And to Ricky's point, to Ricky's point, the tight ends weren't very good last year, right? (laughs) The tight ends, in fact, outside of Daquan Wright, who's basically a receiver, by the way, the tight ends were terrible last year. Like, we were were told before the year about Connor Blumrick, how he was going to be this, like, tight end turned receiver. He was going to be his H-back. He didn't do anything last year. He did After absolutely the first, nothing. like three games. He was he did nothing useless. I'll, I'll so, chalk that up to misuse. Misuse. Well, so okay, but Rick, whose fault is that? The offensive right. coordinator. The right? offensive coordinator. <laughs> the offensive coordinator. Right. So, so, so I here's mean, here's my overall here's my overall point. If Brent Pry believes in Tyler Bowen, and believes that he can coordinate an offense at an efficient level in the Power Five, after what we saw in year one. I feel like a reasonable solution would have been, okay, let me try and surround this guy with the best assistance I can get, allow him to stay in his lane, whether it be on offensive line or tight ends, and try and supplement him with really good teachers. 
Instead, Brent Pry has now tasked Bowen with all of the stuff he was already planning on giving him, which was make the offense better. And now, oh, you have to now develop the quarterbacks. To me, that's an unreasonable ask, and I think it sets this team up for failure for this year. And again, I could be wrong. Mike, you're right. We don't have four years of Tyler Bowen to know if he's really, really that bad. Right. But this does not seem like a reasonable or responsible solution for a head coach that had one of the worst offenses, not just in the Power Five, in all of football last year. Yep. No, it's a roll of the dice. I mean, it is a roll of the dice. Like he is, not, he is betting all on Tyler Bowen. It He's is a roll all in on Tyler Bowen now. It's a roll of the dice that I'm not sure I would have made, considering how bad this team was last year. Now, the one thing I will say is like, I think Crook is a fine replacement for Rudolph. Right? It's pro- I know people weren't high on Rudolph last year, but I think. Crook is probably reasonably speaking. Crook doesn't seem like a bad coach. He doesn't seem like a bad coach. I'm not sure he's going to be very good, but I think he can be competent. We just need him to be competent. I'm a bit more. I think there's a bit more upside with Elijah Brooks. I I agree. I think he adds enough of a recruiting boost where even if, you know, the, the, the position coaching is not excellent, you feel like you're getting enough on the trail to compensate for that. So, I don't really, again, I would have gone a different direction on offensive line. We've talked about this. I've talked about it on Twitter. I can live with, with Ron Crook coaching the offensive lineman. I'm, I'm kind of excited about Elijah Brooks, but I think it was a very poor decision handing over the keys to the quarterback room to someone who's not prepared for it. I also just think, like, I think – you were talking about okay, like if I were, if I were Brent Pry, I would have, you know, and I believe in Tyler Bowen, I would have, you know, surrounded him with like the most experienced and best assistance assistance possible. All this stuff. Agree. I think Pry's kind of done that though, everywhere except for quarterback, right? Yeah, I, I think that's you know? fair, but quarterback is such a unique position. And it's such an important position that I think that misstep could derail the whole thing. Agree. Agree. And yeah, I mean, thing- like the thing is like you look at the staff and like Mike, you're pointing to like the promotion of an analyst, which like, who knows? Maybe that's okay. Right. But it's like you're we're talking about someone with like legitimately no experience. Hey, Brian Christ has more experience coaching quarterbacks than Tyler Bowen does. He did it in high school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It's uh I mean I think he's going to be I think he is going to be involved. I don't know if that's and like I said, I don't know if that's going to be I don't know if that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing, but I will say like I think Brent Pry is in a position now where he's hired good enough assistants on the offensive staff that if the offense is still bad and he believes the personnel is good enough, like he's going to point the finger at one guy and it's not going to be himself. <laughs> I mean, it maybe Even though maybe be. he should do that. Maybe it should do that, right? Cuz he's hire a quarterback's coach, but like He's not going to point the finger at himself, a defensive guy. He's going to point the finger at, oh, maybe I just made the wrong offensive coordinator hire because I believe that this position coach is good. I believe that that position coach is good. Maybe 
the guy who has now coordinated a couple bad offenses is, is the problem. Who, by the way, we were talking about Tyler. Andrew, you made, you made the point about, okay, well, what if they hire Tyler Bone like right off the bat, maybe quarterbacks coach? It would have been absurd. We were all a little bit confused why he was the offensive coordinator to begin with, right? And he had good assistant coaching experience. I think Tyler Bowen would have been a fine. I think he's a, I think he's an ACC like power five hire. Is he an ACC power five offensive coordinator? Like books out on that, right? Like we're not, if they had hired well, him. And coach... I think we, I think we were saying last year, right? Like for all the reasons that we literally saw out play in real life, when you are transitioning someone who's never been a head coach to head coach, you might not want to transition people who have never been head coordinators, like, you know, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator into that role at the same time. Yeah. Because then you have the three main leaders of the team having literally no previous experience in their job. And as happens in coaching transitions in this day and age with the portal and all that, your first roster is probably going to be pretty bad because the roster of a guy who just got fired with all of his good players given the option to leave. Like at that point, you really might want to lean on experience. Yeah. And Virginia tech was incapable of uh, not incapable of doing that, but they chose not to do that. And the results were the results. And I don't, I don't disagree with, I, and, and I don't, and I think I've made this clear. I think you guys understand this, but like, I don't disagree with Ricky's overall point. I'm in agreement. Like, I would have hired a quarterbacks coach. <laughs> like, I think that's prob that was probably the prudent thing to do. Like, I'm not. It's such, it's like, such a funny thing to have to say on the podcast. Like, it's like a quarterbacks coach was a position, like, an important position. Like, why does every team have one? I know we had an opening one, we should get someone who's done it I would have hired a trainer. Where, where, where I split, where I split from Ricky is that Ricky's like. This is to, like this is not going to be good, and I'm like I'm not sure. I mean, it, it may not be good, yeah, but, you, but it may just be realize. okay. I don't know. Like I have, I don't know, and I don't think we have enough information yet. That's where and, I'm at. And, and it wouldn't have been, it, wouldn't folks. have been my first choice. And there you have it, folks. Is this podcast over the course of the last four years in a nutshell? Ricky <laughs> coming in with a very extreme opinion, Mike saying like. I don't know. It hasn't happened yet. And then me just like poking the bear on both sides. <laughs> pretty, I pretty. Much. I was, I was so mad when I saw this come down today. We, we kind of theorized that this was where it was going. We talked because, about it on the last it was, podcast. It was, it was taken so damn long for them to hire these assistants anyway. And we were thinking, okay, well maybe they move Bowen to offensive line and then they hire, they hire, um, a tight ends coach, or maybe they move Stu Holt to tight ends, and then they hire a running backs coach, and they hire a quarterbacks coach. But I think we all kind of saw that there was a, a chance that they were going to just say, screw it, Bowen's coach and the QBs. I was just really hoping we weren't going to get that news. Yeah. And and shockingly enough, of course, it was buried in the press release when they announced Elijah Brooks being hired. And I was oh, like, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Thought, oh, by the way, we don't have a quarterbacks coach is essentially what it said. Yeah, I thought uh, it was going to be a Brian Chris promotion to quarterbacks coach. Like, and I would have been like, meh, that probably wasn't yeah, their first choice. We'll you know, wait and I, see. Exactly. If they had if they had elevated Brian Chris, I would have said, all right, not great. Right. Bad timing in the cycle because a lot of guys have settled in already. However, 
Chris did work with the QBs a little bit last year as a lower level assistant. He's got some, he's got some coaching chops, not specifically for QBs. It's a stopgap solution and you can reevaluate at the end of the year. Could that end up being what Bowen is? Okay, but then who do you part ways with in order to fill his spot? We don't because have to part now, ways. You don't have to part ways with anybody now because you didn't hire a quarterbacks coach. Yeah, but if you're gonna, but like if you're gonna try and bring someone in to coach quarterbacks next year, you then like you then have too many coaches. This so is a you, very. This is a very similar conversation to the one we had when it's a, it's a little bit different, but very similar to the conversation we had about Brad Cornelson being both the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach. We were like, why can't Fuente do one of those? Remember how we were having that conversation? Like, why, or why not bring somebody in? And when they brought, um, name escaping me, Jerry Kell. Jerry oh, Kell. Jerry Sorry. Kell. When yeah. they brought Jerry Kell in as an offensive analyst, we were like, oh, that's great. It made a lot of sense. And then the offense looked good, right? It's like, oh, another idea in the room. Um, it was crazy how much Jerry Kill essentially <clears throat> called. I mean, and, and this is kind of conjecture, but Jerry Kill essentially called out everyone in the offensive staff and said, "You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong." And for six, seven weeks, Virginia Tech's offense was absolutely humming, and yeah. then he left. <laughs> the story of Jerry Kill coming to Virginia Tech in 2019. And Bring becomes, back like, Jerry Kill, damn it's it! It's become something of like a folk tale at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's got a. Like, he's now has a tattoo because uh, New Mexico. He coaches at New Mexico State. They won a bowl game for the first time in a really long time. He promised his his players that he would get a tattoo of like like commemorating their season. So he's got now a New Mexico State bowl season tattoo on his arm. Just players coach baby players, players coach. We need someone who would do something like that to come here and do it successfully. Yeah. Uh, so I guess back to the original point, like what if, what if Bowen just ends up being like, like, like the Chris argument, Ricky, you were just making where like you elevate him. Right. And you're like, all right, well, wasn't my first choice. He's got some coaching experience. Um, he's worked with offenses before bad time in the cycle. What if that's just what's happening here with Bowen? It's like, I have a feeling that this wasn't Pry's first choice, right? To make Tyler Bowen the quarterback's coach. Like, what if that's his line of thinking, right? The same line of thinking you just had with elevating Chris. Like, could that be Pry's thinking with just making Bowen the quarterback's coach? I, if- I just, I feel like at a certain point, though, if we're picking hairs and saying, like, like, well, hopefully, like, this guy isn't actually coaching the quarterbacks. You know, they'll bring in either the guy below him is a savant and no one knows about it yet, or they'll go out and get someone else in between now and then does not speak highly to the decision as it's read on paper in, well, <laughs> right we, now officially today. And like, we just got out of we just got out of a situation with the prior staff. And I, just, I you know, we're, we're a couple of years removed from the Fuente era now, so I don't want to, like, keep harping on it, but, like, we just got out of a situation where we were like, Brad Cornelson is the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach. Now we want it separated. Is that what we're walking into again right here, right? Where it's like, okay, this guy's the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach. Like, do we want somebody else doing this? I don't I don't care I don't if they're separated or together. I just want someone in the role that's good. Like, 
I don't like I, I don't need my I, I think offensive coordinators can be guys that have wide receiver backgrounds or offensive line backgrounds. I think that is doable. But in, in order for that to function, you have to have a quarterback's coach that is good at being able to teach his guys how to process all this information and be able to coach mechanics. And I just I I, I don't know that it's going to, I'm pretty confident that it's not going to be an advantageous setup going into the, 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 the next season, asking a guy who's got it so much on his plate and is struggling to deal with that already to be able to follow through on his quarterback coaching duties. But I mean, at this point I'm beating a dead horse. How much, how much, and, and the other question is like, how involved was Bowen with the quarterbacks last year to begin with? Well, he if had a quarterbacks was, coach, right? He had a quarterbacks coach. So if he was involved, involved, is that does that make it much better because they were so bad last year? Again, I don't know. Like that's my that's my yeah. argument. Like that that's the base. That's the core of my whole argument. Like I don't think we know yet. That's the and like the early returns aren't very good, but like this offense is going to be entirely different this year. Entirely, like God, I hope so. <laughs> well, just no, no, like well, yeah, me too. But just in terms of personnel, like. There are some holdovers and stuff, but probably a good chance for a brand new quarterback. You're going to have two to three new starting receivers. Um, probably two, a new two, two is going to be a play, a probably major a new running back, right. and then you're going to have what two new starting offensive linemen, at least, if not more. At least, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, there's definitely going to be a lot of roster turnover. Um, it cannot be wor- it it literally cannot be worse than it was last year. Like, you're yeah, pretty much. The, the tech can only fall like another six spots. <laughs> Virginia Tech was behind <laughs> I, Iowa was the laughing stock of college football offensively because yep. Kirk Ferentz wouldn't fire his son. Remember how how mad everybody got about Fuente not firing his best man, Brad Cornelison? Everybody yep. he was the best man in Fuente. That was the whole thing. He was the best man in Fuente's wedding. He'll never fire that guy, and he didn't. That's why he got fired. And the same thing is going to be said now, right? It's just like tech is in this position where I don't know what they're going to do offensively if it gets worse, right? Like Iowa, like Kirk Ferentz wouldn't fire Brian Ferentz. Everybody's making fun of Iowa. Virginia Tech was behind Iowa in yards per play last year. They were literally the worst offense in the Power Five a year ago. And one of the worst in college football, like Ricky mentioned earlier, it literally cannot get worse. It cannot get worse. Like, I guess it could technically get like five spots worse. Like, yes, yeah, but <laughs> like it really can't get much worse. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm really, really scared that the way that the way that this coaching staff is setting up for the for the next season that they're not setting it up to be much better. And, and, and look, if they come in next year and they're like top 100, spare me the. Oh, they got better argument because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hear it. But it's like, got it's but that that's that would be a huge improvement. Okay, like, but but are, are we really like a thirty spot here, improvement? But are we really gonna like be happy about being what ninetieth? No, total no, 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 no. Because if Virginia so, Tech's ninetieth so in total offense, they're probably gonna go like four and eight, five and yeah, seven. So like, even if they do finish ninetieth in total offense, I'm not gonna sit here and sing the praises of Brent pride because he made a masterful decision to, to bring on all these guys and make Tyler Bowen as quarterbacks coach and this, that, and the other, 
Now, if they go up there and they finish like 60th or 50th, I'm be like, damn, that's a pretty big improvement. Brent Pry nailed this thing this offseason, and he's got a chance to do something bigger the following the following year. But well, that's I don't think that's going to happen. That's a whole other <laughs> thing. Like, is it fair to expect a hundred spot improvement with this kind of roster turnover? Like, I don't know. And some of that is also dependent on like what I mean. I, I know it's not I mean, only 100, like a hundred spots would put him what in the top twenty or something. Yeah, so I guess not hundreds, but like seventy or eighty spots. Like, is that? is that fair with all the roster turnover or is like a 30 or 40 spot improvement? I mean, that's kind if of they, split. If, the they, if you, if you, you jump well up 30 around. spots into the eighties or the seventies, I'll be, I'll be happy. Yeah. If you can, well, if you, sorry, I won't be can, happy. It'll be a modest improvement. If you can dwell around average and lean on the defense, you could probably get to the reasonable goals of next year. Yeah. Because guess what? The ACC sucks. Oh, and by the way, that's how Be- that's how Beamer was winning nine or ten towards the end. Like yeah, that yeah. twenty eleven, that twenty eleven Virginia Tech offense had some talent, namely David Wilson and and Logan Thomas. I, it's funny because the more time goes by, the more people are like, "Oh, Logan Thomas was this fantastic quarterback. He was a fine quarterback." We don't realize how good we had it, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, compared to like quarterbacks Tech has had since then outside of a couple guys like like Ricky just mentioned don't realize how good you had it but like Logan Thomas was no sterling thrower of the football right and do you guys they, remember all the all the smack we used to talk about Gerard Evans and how he was a one read guy and and Gerard was so limited as a passer and Gerard is the best quarterback in school history since <laughs> since Tyrod <laughs> Because Gerard was better than Logan Thomas. He was. Yeah, he was better than Logan Thomas. And, and, that he, offense up, and he actually game. owns the passing records at the school. Now, I would argue Tyrod was a bit better of a player. But Gerard was right up there. Yeah. And and, and, and we, we sat here. I know I did a lot. And I criticized Gerard for his, his kind of, you know, inability to get off one read and go to the other. And, God, I kill for a Gerard Evans right now. Yeah. Well, like – it did end up being kind of like a a one read offense. It was, but guess what? They were <laughs> they were the best passing offense in school history. They won a divisional championship. They they were they came within maybe one missed block from Trayvon McMillan of beating the, the eventual national champions on a neutral site. So yeah, I, mean, I mean like the suggestion is that Brad Cornelson's offense with the right personnel. That offense got <laughs> it is like I, I and we're we're going way back in the time machine now. It is shocking when you go back and think how progressively worse that offense got over time. Yeah. Like in 2016, we were sitting here saying, Yep, there goes the quarterback whisper. Justin Fuente did it again. He he turned this this Which was uh, fair. Which was fair. Yeah, yeah. He turned record, this guy yeah. into the best the best passer in school history per the numbers. They won 10 games after going, what, five and seven the year before, whatever it was. Like, and then 2017, they were okay, but not great. We're like, hey, it's fine. They just ran into a really good Oklahoma State team in the camping world. No worries. And then 2018 happened and the, the, the wheels completely fell off. And then for the remainder of Justin Fuente's tenure, essentially, the offense was awful. Yeah, save for that one that one time period in 2019 where they ripped off what like six straight wins. 
Hooker, baby. Yeah. Another guy we used to talk poorly about. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> nope. Nope. I, I was pissed when Ryan Willis got the starting job over him. Livid. Livid. Didn't make a whole lot of sense. Nope. And it makes even less sense now. Although, shout out Ryan Willis, who was... Mm -hmm. Trying to get uh, Odell signed. Yeah, throwing passes to Odell Beckham Jr. for his NFL workout last week. That's pretty dope. Ryan Willis is, uh, you know, it seems one of the best unemployed quarterbacks in America. Scared money don't make money. His name keeps like popping up. I'm like, oh, he's playing here. Oh, he's doing a workout there. Oh, you can't tell me that Ryan Willis isn't better than any of those guys in the XFL or the USFL. Oh no, I know. I've watched does, a couple he, of those games. He does play they're one of them. terrible. Does he play in one of them or did he get cut? He he. I think he was with um, the USFL like two years ago or something like that. But you can't tell me that he's not as good as the guys that are playing there right now because the, the quarterback level of play is pretty low. He's got an NFL caliber arm. He does not have an NFL caliber brain between the two ears. That's how Facts. I would describe it. Absolute Ryan Willis plays for the Memphis Showboats of the USFL. Oh, so he is on a USFL team. They play the Harlem Globetrotters next week. <laughs> Hell yeah. See who's on the team. <laughs> oh, man. Ryan Willis's teammates include Alex Collins. Do you remember him? Oh, yep. my God. Was the Greek, is that the Green Bay the Ravens and the, and the Seahawks? Giants running back? Ravens and the Seahawks, but he, he was in there. Vinny Papali, who oh, is the that name son is that. of Vince Papali. Yes. Subject of the movie Invincible. Yeah. For those of you that are into sports movies. Yeah. I'm sure that a couple of people remember that. Yeah, just a couple of guys. He's competing with Brady White, former Memphis quarterback. <laughs> there's, there's a connection there. Wait a minute. I was going to say, wait a minute. Stop what right are, there. What are the damn odds? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh shit! You got coached by the quarterback whisperer too. <laughs> when was Brady White at Memphis? Uh, he missed him. Is that, oh, is that good? Damn. Was he coached by Norvell? Because that's still kind of the same thing. Twenty eighteen to twenty twenty. Norvell. Yeah. Yep. That's he, was at, he was at Arizona State beforehand. My joke would my joke would have slapped. <laughs> I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember. Well, that, that makes sense. Because Brady Brady White came after Paxton Lynch. So that makes sense. But I was like, man, that joke would have absolutely slapped. If that was true. <laughs> this is why folks come to the Hokey Hangover because you're getting a a player by player, position group by position group breakdown of the Memphis Showboats. And Ricky, you were you were worried about Tyler Bowen on the recruiting trail, like recruiting quarterbacks. Like, this is what happens when we get recruited by the quarterback whisperer on the recruiting trail. Yeah. True. All I know is Mike's going <laughs> to gamble a mortgage payment in the Memphis showboats at some point now that he's. Get a couple cocktails in me. You never know what happens. <laughs> All right, Mike, give us oh, a uh, preview of the uh, NIT. I, c I couldn't tell you the first thing about the NIT. <laughs> 
I was just actually having this conversation because I was I was telling one of my buddies who lives in my apartment building, who's also a uh, a tech grad. So shout out to the Don he listens to this podcast. But uh, I was talking about essentially someone had asked us to talk about the NIT, and none of us could muster up the energy to do it. I'm just so exhausted. Like I I can't sit here and preview an NIT game against Cincinnati. Like so. So Virginia Tech was supposed to make the tournament this year and not the NIT tournament. Right. So th- the fact that they underperformed all year long and the fact that this team is just essentially less than the sum of, or less than the actual parts that make up the team. You think I care about the NIT, man? I'm pissed. Like I'm still mad that this season went as poorly as it did. So like, yeah, it, from a from a real a realism standpoint, I'm happy that there are younger players in the roster. They're getting postseason experience, but I don't care how the NIT goes. Like, I I don't. I just don't care. I'm yeah. I mean, for the, the, the... For the first time in my life, I am much more invested in the women's NCAA tournament than I am Final the men's four team and NCAA tournament. Yeah, well, I mean, like, first of all, the way that the season went does not lend to wanting to pay attention to the NIT. It's not like the, what was it, the second year of Buzz Williams where they, like, all of a sudden just shot up out of a cannon and made the NIT, and we were all excited because this was the start of something special. Like, yeah. That, no, that, you, that was we, a fun time. This yeah, is you, a down you, year. And true, it was indeed the start of something special like this is the first time after that, that we made the NCAA tournament five years in a row like we were yeah. right <laughs> yeah yeah this is a hopefully just like a momentary yeah. lull yeah. right but I but yeah so. seeing seeing a team primarily made up of the players that were good enough to win the acc last year start off really hot and then lose to the worst teams in the conference while still managing wins over the teams that actually made the ncaa tournament is pretty frustrating because you're seeing that the team is capable of beating the good teams and you've seen it in the past and then it just keeps slipping up on the small stage time after time after time until you actually have a worse record than the bad teams yeah the worst best team in the conference mike young is playing 4d chess losing to clemson twice because now brad brownell gets to keep his job and brad brownell is a very average basketball coach and now mike young gets to play him at least once maybe twice next year so 4D chess, momentary lapse in time. <laughs> Hopefully the team plays better next year. Do we I don't know? Do I, I, think... I, I watch Clemson and I think maybe I wish we had gotten that Hall kid instead of Brad Brownell, but do we think that do we think Clemson got robbed? No. They're non-conference, their non-conference strength of schedule is like 330th in the country or something like that. It was terrible. Yeah. Beauty, well, what was it? The 14 NCAA basketball the tournament. ACC? Yeah, the fourteen of the NCAA basketball tournament is no one truly gets robbed. Yeah, you know, I don't no, think right. there were any snot. Like, you I allow sixty-eight any... teams into the contest. Like, I just don't think there were really any snot. Like, any true snubs this year. Like, I think I think the, the committee got it right. I think the net rating has kind of cleared up some of those issues. There's. There's kind of a lot more clarity now as to how everyone's evaluating these teams, and I think the net is is kind of kind of involved with that. Ken Palm, obviously, a lot of folks are looking at that, but 
the net is so objective and so clear and obvious that there's a lot less ambiguity in, in, in how everyone judges these teams. Yeah. Also, also seeing a lot of people on Twitter, people that I, people that I respect their opinion most of the time, though. But still, you know, they're saying, "Oh, Virginia Tech got robbed. They got to play a road game in the NIT. They shouldn't have been put on the road." Are you kidding? Who, me? Like, who, says, who, says who? who? Like this who team. Ca- also, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you have? Enough, first of all, why? How do you have enough energy to care? Like, have you looked over the resumes of the other teams in the NIT? I'm not going to sit here. We've and, made and... the NCAA tournament five times in a row. And and our fans are now complaining about seeding in the NIT. Who cares? That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to sit here. Like, like we cover football and basketball, and I'm really excited about the women's team, and I think they have an opportunity to make a Final Four. I think South Carolina is far and away the favorite. They, they're yeah. undefeated for a reason. They are Thank like, God we're on the opposite end of the bracket. We're on the opposite end of the bracket, so Tech can legitimately make it all the way to a title game. And, and then just, you know, if you lose to South Carolina, you lose to South Carolina, whatever. Um everybody's like South Carolina or the field, I would be taking South Carolina. But this is a really exciting time for the Virginia Tech women's team. I'm really excited to watch them play. Blacksburg, the Blacksburg, um, two games at Blacksburg are going to be sold out already. Like yep. they already announced, you know, Tech already announced that those two games are sold out. So, I mean, the Hokies are going to have fan support there. That'll be the biggest crowd that they've probably played in front of since the early 2000s, back when Tech women's basketball was ranked. Yeah. So, I mean, it's legit. I mean, this kind of thought this all along like this is the opportunity to be the best women's team in school history and i think the next couple weeks are going to dictate that so it's going to be really interesting to see how far they go um i'm hoping they at least get to an elite eight a final four would be incredible i think anything anything short of an elite eight in my opinion would be a failure just given how this team has played over the last month or so um and kind of who they have on the team and We've gotten past the point of being happy to be there with the women's team. Like, yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm no longer just happy to be happy to be at the dance. I want to win the damn thing. Yeah. So, like, that's kind of where my. I mean, my energy is on just like the men's tournament in general, and then I'm excited to see how the women's team does. But if you're concerned about seeding and the NIT, go take <laughs> and like where Tech's playing in the NIT. Oh my God, they got robbed. They got to go play a road game in Cincinnati. Go outside and take a walk. Like, we can't sit here and pretend like we care about seating in the NIT. Who gives a shit? Nobody cares about that. Like, I we cover, and we cover these teams on this podcast, but I'm not going to sit here as a fan and as an alum and tell you that I care about Tech getting snubbed out of a location of a game in the NIT that, like, 15 people are going to watch. Like, I'm... And I will try to watch the games. I will try to watch the games. But, like, with the perspective of the fact that this season was really disappointing on the men's side. <laughs> and, like, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, some of the younger guys are going to get some run and stuff like that. But, like, I'm not going to pretend to care that Tech didn't get a home game in the NIT. Don't lose to BC twice. Don't lose to Georgia Tech. Don't lose to Clemson twice. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? Who cares? Who cares? Here's what I'll say. I agree with everything that you're saying. I also do not really give the like shit. I don't give a fucking shit about the NIT. Come on, let's, <laughs> let's let's be let's be brutally honest. But 
Oh boy. You, you have some first game. Who's on the other side of that court? Landers Nolly. Boom. There <laughs> you have a storyline. Yeah. Suddenly, you know, you have a second round matchup with either Rutgers or Hofstra. If you win that game, look, Rutgers, a team that was, you know, has a compelling argument to make that they were snubbed from the NCAA tournament. I'm also from New Jersey. I'm watching that game. <laughs> you beat Rutgers. There. You beat Rutgers. And you call me that time next week, and I'll be like, let's win this shit. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to win three more. It's just going to take a road trip to the NIT final. <laughs> Speaking of road trips to the NIT, one of the great stories I've ever heard my good friend, and I don't think you know him, Ricky, but Mike's definitely met him, Darren Small. When we <laughs> yes, were in college, road tripped to the women's NIT final at the University of Indiana when Virginia Tech played there and lost. And he told me that was the single most electric sporting experience that he's ever been a part of. They take basketball seriously in Indiana, but that was also the start of something. Right, we're there once yes. now. Yes, it yeah. was. That was Coach Brooks's. Uh, yeah, we're here. Moment. That was that a coming out run. party for some of the naysayers. Yep. I'm so glad that we that we spent <laughs> a like, good five ten minutes just ranting on the NIT. I'm just saying, if Mike Young's resume is two NCAA tournament appearances and ACC championship or two NCAA tournament appearances, an ACC championship, and an NIT ring. I don't know. Who would you rather be? I mean, if Mike Young wins the NIT, I mean, I'm just going to spend the offseason lying about what I expect this team to be next year, which, (laughs) I mean, let's get to that point. That'll be fun. And like I said, I will be watching the NIT games, right? So I'm not going to sit here and talk about how, like, I didn't. I, oh, I didn't even watch it. I didn't do this. Didn't do that. I will watch the NIT games, but with a very low level of caring. So I just want to make that clear. Like, if Tech loses, am I going to be dis? Am I going to be disappointed that they lost in the NIT? No, because no, I'm going to be disappointed they lost to BC twice. <laughs> I'm I'm, or I'm disappointed by what happened when Couture got hurt, losing to BC twice, and losing to Georgia Tech. Losing to Clemson twice. Like, that's what I'm disappointed with. Like, that's we're playing in the consolation tournament. Like, that's not that was not the goal. Like, the goal is to make a sweet 16. 60 some teams got not in the NIT, in by the way. To play for a, a national championship, and we didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, the I'm season was a failure. It. The season was a failure, right? Yeah. Like, it was a failure. Un, unmitigated failure. And I and I say that with the full understanding that I think the NIT can be valuable in terms of like getting some of the younger guys postseason experience. I'm not shying away from that. I'm not going to pretend like that doesn't matter because I do think it does. But from a fan standpoint, for me to pretend to care where Tech was playing and the seeding and all that stuff in the freaking NIT, I just can't do it. I, I that's a bridge too far for me. Sounds like you're just not a diehard, Mike. And all right, who would you rather every game's play... been watched this year? You know, <laughs> would you rather every play in the third round? New Mexico, Colorado, or Seton Hall? Because those are your options. And then suddenly you have... play Seton Hall with uh, Shaheen Holloway. That's who I want to play. Yeah. And then suddenly you have uh, a potential Clemson rematch oh, God. in the semifinals. No, thanks. I'm going to pass. 
Oh, good. I get to watch I've that seen, loss for the third time. I was going to say, I've seen that story <laughs> twice, and I know how it turns out. <laughs> Jesus falls for the third time. Like, I don't want to watch that. Like, Jesus is Mike Young in this case. <laughs> We've yeah. gone completely off the rails here. Oh. Uh, so I'm going to find was... a podcast about the NIT. I'll tweet about it for... <laughs> Our listeners who want I was I was researching analysis. I was researching this earlier while we were talking about football. Did you guys know Keyshawn King hasn't landed anywhere yet? I was actually we're all in the same wavelength, and I know this because half the time you guys make my next point before I'm gonna make it, but I also <laughs> looked that up during the show. I was I was like, hmm, I wonder where he went. It had to be somewhere in the group of five. Nope. Nope. Uh also cool note about the, the the women's tournament first game against UT Chattanooga the mocks yeah Sean Poppy, Sean Poppy is coaching there and Sean Poppy played a huge role in Kenny getting his his uh, foundation laid in Blacksburg Sean Poppy went there what was it it was is this his first year or is the second year I think it's the second year I got double check that um, so shout out to Sean Poppy for getting his team into the tournament uh, hopefully they get the doors blown off of them on day one. Yeah, I would expect that to be uh I would expect that to be the case. So otherwise I think that there's a lot of kind of big big brands in this bracket with Tennessee, kind of a bigger brand, UNC and eh. James Madison, Kenny's former school. Uh Alabama, although I'm not sure their women's program has much, and then Yukon, obviously. I mean, they're just setting this up for the storybook here for Virginia Tech. I mean, but, look, Tech is the one seed in the region for a reason. Like they didn't, they didn't back their way into this one seed. I, I was, I was kind of worried that they were going to end up being a two, but I, I think the committee properly rewarded them. For, this is year one for Poppy. Sorry to interrupt. Okay, yeah, I, I, I think the committee properly rewarded. Tech for going on the run they did to finish the year, winning all these big games. They had like what ten wins against the top twenty-five, which I think was among the highest in the country. So they they definitely earned this for sure. Yeah, I mean you know with the one seed makes the final four in the women's tournament more often than not, but Virginia Tech has a a tendency. Across all sports and across time. Wouldn't that be wild if Tech ends up playing Indiana in the Final Four? We just got done talking about the NIT Final from a couple years ago. I actually was thinking about that a few weeks ago when I was looking at the – maybe even a few days ago when I saw, oh, well, Indiana's the top seed too. Both those teams just skyrocketing into relevance. Imagine maybe being... that was indeed one of the most consequential – women's basketball games ever played and it was played in the national invitational tournament so for you guys who want to yeah mike how come you don't care about the national invitational tournament no no matter no matter how many different ways we say it you just like like ricky said at the top of the podcast like this to take you're not going to talk talk me out of like <laughs> me caring about no, I, mean, I, I i'm just screwing around obviously but imagine i will say being, like, imagine being norfolk state 
being in the women's tournament and you draw South Carolina in the first round. God. Someone's got a plan. They're going to crush everyone eventually. <laughs> like... South Carolina might not lose a game. or I, Well, I, I know I don't think they're going to lose a game. They might not win a game in this entire tournament by less than like 15 or 20 points. I think they could get to like the Elite Eight or Final Four and, and maybe play like a eight, ten point game, but they're they are really good for a reason. My okay, kid needs so, milk. I'm leaving. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait, wait, wrap wrap the podcast. Bye guys. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What? Who's your final four and who wins the national championship on the men's side? My final uh, four is look. My final four is Alabama, Texas, Duke, and Ooh, Duke. Alabama, Texas, Duke, and Kansas. I have Alabama over Texas in the final. That's subject to change before Thursday. You know, Alabama is a sexy pick because they've got a really good shooter on their team. Yeah, I will. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty close to Mike on that. I have, uh, but I have Arizona instead of Alabama. And then I'm between Duke and Marquette. Part of me thinks that the Duke is because of the, you know, family bias. So we'll call it Marquette. Probably make two brackets. Then Texas, Kansas, and then Kansas over Marquette in the final. So I haven't, for for total uh, transparency, I've yet to fill out a full bracket, but on my um, kind of early readings, I'm going to go with Arizona, Kansas State, Houston, and UCLA. Who wins it all? UCLA. All right. Fair enough. Well, let's just wrap it up for us, Ricky. Mike's already gone. Shout yeah. out to Jeremy Counts over at Main Street Farms. He's going to be a father. Main Street Farm. He's going to be a father. Dr. Jeremy Counts. It's going to be soon be a Dr. Jeremy Counts Jr. <laughs> I really hope our, the little one gets his gets his doctorate and there is a Dr. Jeremy Counts Jr. Keep the name going. Keep the name going. But yeah, shout out to them. Rate, review, subscribe, folks. We'll be back soon. As always, go Hokies. Go Hokies.